Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. I'm Lauren, and we are very excited to have award-winning human rights activist Naomi Tutu joining us here today. Naomi Tutu is the third child of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Nomaliso Leah Tutu. She has championed human rights through her professional experiences, which include serving as development consultant in West Africa and program coordinator for programs on race and gender and gender-based violence and education at the African Gender Institute at the University of Cape Town. As well as speaking and preaching, Naomi Tutu has established Nozizwe Consulting. The guiding principle of Nozizwe Consulting is to bring different groups together to learn from and celebrate their differences and acknowledge their shared humanity. Welcome to the show, Naomi. Thank you. Um, so just to begin, you know, every single story has a beginning, um, and we'd love to kick off our show, our Excuse me. We'd love to kick off our show with learning about yours. Um, you were once sitting here in our position uh, as a student, um, trying to figure out what you were going to do and what you were going to pursue um, in the professional world and in your personal world. So what inspired you to pursue activism? Well, I mean, I think that activism had always been part of my life, just right. because um, growing up under a birth date, you know, it was almost impossible not to be an activist. Mm -hmm. And in the family that I grew up in, um, that was one of the, you know, the blessings that we received was being in a household where activists came and, and spoke and argued with one another and, and spoke about their dreams for South Africa. And, and so had that, that sense that, you know, a passion for, for justice is something that that feeds the soul and so uh so there was a way that i always knew that i was going to be doing something mm -hmm. around um around human rights and 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 improving people's lives I, I was never quite sure exactly what it was going to what it was going to look like and i mean and then when i was in college i actually thought that my my focus was going to be on economic development and that was in oh. fact my my background mm. is in is in economics and 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 especially development economics and um and so and, and so then my path has wound I've, I've been lost for many many <laughs> years going all kinds of directions but i think that my passions particularly around race and gender I always tell people that you know it's really selfish passions as a black <laughs> woman, obviously. But that that but that has been from my life experience. Of yeah. course. Um, and so you mentioned growing up in a family filled with activists and sort of the necessity of being an activist um, in the apartheid area, South Africa. Was there a theory of activism that either your mother um, shared with you or your father shared with you that just kind of still personifies your approach to activism? I think that the, the the lesson that my parents taught and that I have also tried to teach to my children is the connectedness right. of activism. Mm -hmm. So you know, so I, I, I so what they always said to us is you need to find the place that you are passionate about, the thing that is wrong in the world that you are passionate about. And in in writing that wrong, then you are part of the bigger picture. Of writing human rights and justice, right. and 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 I think it's important to. It was really important for me to have that lesson, and I think that it's important. And I tell people all the time that I think it's important is as you think about being an activist that you find that thing that you are most passionate about, mm -hmm. because if there's one thing about activism is that it is 
really frustrating work. Right. That there is a there comes a time when you feel as though you're banging your head against the wall. And so if it's not something that moves you almost like in your stomach and your heart as well as your head, then you get tired and and you you drop out of doing the work. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that gives you it gives you energy. And that was the lesson that my parents taught me was that it needs to be something that you know you are so passionate about it that you think about it every day and you imagine what the world would look like so for me it's like what well, i imagine what the world would look like without sexism without racism wow. right and mm-hmm. and that imagination had you know carried me as i was younger and then having children the the the, the picture changed a little bit but it was still about what would our world look like if there was justice in these areas. Right. And that just makes me think, was there ever a particular moment that you can reflect on when you really started first feeling that passion and recognizing that there was this wrong in the world that you lived in that you wanted to write? Well, you know, I think that in terms of racism, I, I mean, I always right. <laughs> recognize that as a wrong in that, that, that I wanted to write. I... I think around gender justice was it was a little bit slower, partly because of again of the family that I grew up in, and in, in my in my parents' home, you know, gender equity was the rule of law basically. Um, that they had expectations of us. We all had we all had responsibilities in the home. Um, my brother and my sisters and I, we all had to cook. We all had to clean. We all had to do laundry. We all had to do dishes. <laughs> So, and, and the expectations about our education were exactly the same, that we would excel in school, mm-hmm. that we would work hard, that we would go on to get degrees. So that, you know, those things, in, to me, that was, you know, that's what society was meant to look like. And, and, I, and I got to recognize that that's not the, the general experience, even in my own extended family. Mm-hmm. And so I think that... It, so the awareness for me about those injustices came very early in my life. Mm-hmm. And as I say, selfishly, I thought, you know, what would the world look like if those barriers didn't exist for me? And, and in particular, I think, you know, in, in, both in terms of racism and sexism, it partly was growing up and recognizing that I had opportunities because my father was an Anglican priest that allowed them to send us to boarding school in neighboring countries. Not because I was brighter than my friends or my cousins who were who didn't get those opportunities, but that it was really the luck of my birth. Mm-hmm. And, and new friends who were way much more brilliant than I am and who never had the opportunity because of their race and their gender to go to high school even. Right? right, and thinking, what would the world be like if my friend Maureen had been able to do the amazing things that I knew that she could do, and and how much we as a world have lost out by the oppression of people based on race, based on gender, based on ethnicity, based on religion, that the barriers that have stopped people from being reaching their full potential have stopped us as a world 
reaping the benefits of their gifts. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and you mentioned this, the concept of education um, and how, you know, I, there is that interplay with, with recognition and also the fact that, you know, uh, you mentioned going to boarding school and how you felt that was that was a uh, sort of a, a a luck of the draw um, mm-hmm. versus versus some of your peers, uh, like you just mentioned. Um, so your education kind of spiraled several several parts of the world, um, and it was very much a global education. Mm-hmm. So how how do you think that impacted your world view, or do you is there a certain moment or a certain narrative that you can tell us about? Um, the benefits and or the, you know, maybe the recognition of realities that you gained from going to school in several parts of the world? Mm. You know, I I would say that the, you know, the greatest recognition probably for me was my last high school where, where I was only, I was only there for, for two years, mm-hmm. actually, uh, but it was a, an international school in Swaziland. Mm. Um, and and it was a school there where there were students from Swaziland, there were students from South Africa, there were students from Malawi, but there were also students from the U.S., from England, from Italy, from I mean, from all over the world. Wow. Uh, and and recognizing that in that community we had conflicts as a community that had to do with being young people in the same place and very rarely had to do with ethnicity or religion or language, that it was about being young people wanting to have this particular music played at a party (laughs) or not wanting to be forced to sit with this particular person in class that had so little to do with the divisions that existed in the Mm -hmm. world and had to do with being teenagers locked up on a mountain together <laughs> for nine months of the year, oh right? And, 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 and I think that the lesson for me was how much we, we can offer each other and young people if we offer ourselves that, op- if we offer that opportunity to experience people as people. Absolutely. And that how rare that opportunity actually is how very rare it is for for young people to be thrown into a mix of people of different religions, ethnicities, mm-hmm. languages on a day-to-day basis and, and for, for them then to have that realization about how similar we are as human beings even in our many differences right. and the ways in which our differences can actually be a, 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 an amazing gift. Um, and, I, and, I, you know, and I say to my children that you know, as they travel the world, wherever they go, I'm likely to have somebody I know who, if they're not there, they have family members in that place. Right. And it is from that experience. Absolutely. That, and that, that opens the doors to experiences that I wish were the everyday experiences of all young people. Mm. Absolutely. We were also wondering, so you spoke a little bit earlier about your parents and kind of the influence that they've had on you. Mm-hmm. And clearly your father is, has done incredible things and undoubtedly served to inspire you in many ways. But we were also wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit more about your mom and how mm-hmm. she inspired you. Yeah. Because mothers know best. <laughs> Absolutely. We've learned exactly. they're always right. <laughs> exactly. And my mother was, you know, I, I tell people all the time that, yes, 
my father was a, a great inspiration, but my mother was the person who freed us. And, and oh, wow. I say that because we grew up as, you know, my dad was not world famous when we were growing up, but my dad was a priest from the time I was born, actually. And, and, and so anybody who's a minister's kid or a priest's kid knows that there are expectations that people have of, of, of people in that position. And um, my mother was so very strong in saying, you know, to people, when any, if anybody would say something like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you do that and you're a priest kid? My mother would be like, that's exactly what you said. They're a priest kid and not a priest. Wow. That only one person in this house chose to go to seminary and be ordained. And he is living his life. And I'm going to make sure that my children live their lives. Mm. And so, you know, that if you have issues with the way that Desmond is a priest, I'm fine with that. You can go and talk to Desmond about this. But you're not going to talk to my children about their responsibility as being priest kids because they don't have any. There, there isn't anything that they came into this world prepared to be priest kids. Mm that they came into this world with their own particular gifts, and I'm gonna make sure that they live into their gifts and not into other people's expectations right. based on their parents. And the other thing that my mother was very strong and that has that has really played a big role in, in, in my life has been, was uh, as really community-oriented. So I, I tell people that, you know, if you were to go to our community now, and ask somebody on the street, point to our house and ask somebody on the street whose house is that, they would say it's Mamelia's house. They wouldn't say it's Archbishop Tutu's house. And the reason that they say that is because my mother has always been somebody who is so involved in the community mm -hmm. and not, you know, not as trying to be a community leader, but she's the person that you would find at the big black pots, at funerals, cooking with, with community members. She's the person who's always there at weddings, you know, in, in the street, mm -hmm. sweeping the street. That, so that being a member of the community was always such an important part of who she was. And that has been a really important for me to, to, to be a community member, to be involved in my community, to be, uh, you know, so, you, so for instance, in Nashville now, you know, people always ask my children, how come you have so many aunts and uncles in Nashville? <laughs> I didn't realize you, you had family. And there are aunts and uncles who are members of the community who we have made, built relations right. with, and that they have become my children's aunts and uncles because we've built relationships. So that, to me, those are, those are the two biggest things that my mom gave me, was freedom mm -hmm. and a sense of belonging to a community. Absolutely. Coming from an Indian family, I totally know what you mean by large families. Um, and, okay, so going off of, you know, community and, and uh, your mom basically teaching you the importance of sustaining one, um, a large part of your work deals with gender um, and gender-based violence. Uh, how, how do you think, and, and, you know, your consulting group, uh, a large part of that is community building or working with the community to address these issues. Um, can you speak more to that relationship uh, and also... Basically, in your own opinion, since you've, since you've started, um, you've adopted uh, this issue to be one of your own. Um, have you seen pro progress within it? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the level of, of violence against women, actually, it's, it's frightening that in the South African context, 
particularly we've seen, in fact, a rise in mm. violence against women, um, both the intimate violence of partner violence, but also the, 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 the street violence of, of rape um, and, and, and abuse of women. And um, part of my, my focus on, on, on gender-based violence came out of the work that I, I started doing for uh, my PhD, which I never finished. Um, in, in, and it was that was looking in South Africa. And in that process, in the time just before President Mandela was released, up to the time of our democratic um, elections, which were a time of, of really heightened political violence. Mm -hmm. And, and what, was, what was startling for me was to see that almost go parallel to the rise of political violence was the rise of violence against women. And trying to, to make sense of what, what is it about instability that, it, that, that brings a focus, that, that intensifies um, gender-based violence. And not, I, I still am not completely sure what it is, except that, that we've seen it replicated around the world, mm -hmm. that in, in times of violence, in times of instability, gender-based violence skyrockets. Right. And, 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 and for, I mean, there are an, any number of reasons. I mean, in, in some areas, it's where rape is used as, as a weapon of war. Um, but it's also within communities that I that I think that it you know in terms of instability that then women become an easy target within the community for people's frustrations, uh, for men's frustrations. Let's put it like that. For men's frustrations in trying to make sense of a time of flux, in trying to make sense of a time of crisis. That that a, a, the response is. And, and I think that it comes out of that, particularly when we don't have courageous leadership who say a time of crisis is not a time to be turning on one another. Mm -hmm. it, it should be a time of trying to find the basis of, um, of, of, of a way of moving forward, a, 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 a building time. And, and yet, unfortunately, in our world, we very rarely have that, that courageous leadership. And so what we have in, in times of crisis is we have increased violence against women. We have increased violence against minorities. Mm -hmm. We have increased violence against immigrants and, 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 and people from the non-dominant religions. And I think those are all tied at the same level, that, that of frustration and seeking um, scapegoats for for our crisis mm -hmm. rather than trying to find ways that take us all as a community out of those crises right absolutely um so we were also just wondering you know these issues as you mentioned in your ath talk you said that south africa continues to struggle with some of the effects mm -hmm. of apartheid and that they will continue to affect south africa mm -hmm. in the foreseeable future and i feel like that's parallel to how issues of gender and race, although we are making good footsteps, they will continue to affect society as a whole for the foreseeable future to come. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of wondering, 
as a human rights activist who knows that those issues will continue mm -hmm. after you, you know, leave the field or whatever it may be, what's kind of your your end goal? What's your intention? What kind of footstep do you hope to leave behind that the next human activist can pick up and continue the path from? Your children, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure on them. Um, you know, I I would like to have to to make people at the very least start questioning um, um, inherited wisdom about how things have to be, mm -hmm. right? Um, that this is the way it has always been and, and there's nothing that we can do to change it. Um, you know, I, I, I always tell people the story of my, my grandmother who, you know, when we were growing up, any time like we would use apartheid as an excuse for, for not doing well, uh, you know, like, you know, what's the point of even trying? We're living in this system that's not even going to give me the opportunity to, to show my gifts and all the rest of it. That my grandmother would always say to us, you know, apartheid is not the end of the story, that this system is going to end and we need you to be prepared for the new society that is going to come. And that, you know, and she would always say, you know, apartheid is, is going to end in your lifetime. And when, the, when we had our first democratic election, my this grandmother, my mother's mother, um, was still alive and was able to vote the first and last time in her life. She was over 90. Oh, wow. And so she got to vote in a democratic election for the first time in her life. And, and she said to me, do you remember that I kept telling you apartheid was going to end in your lifetime and just look it's and it's ended in mine wow. right and 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 so that for me is is kind of the thing that that i want to 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 push people to then mm -hmm. you know the systems of injustice that we see are not the end of the story and so all i what i hope is to encourage somebody to say where is it that i can make a difference in this system what is it that what little part even if it's one little part what is the little part that i can play in dismantling uh, this system and building a, a just world mm -hmm. and that and, and and to let and to, to encourage young people to say you know it is those little piece, pieces that we each put in place that change the big picture and so for me if there is one person who who says to me, listening to you has given me the courage to try and and change some aspect of the world that that I have that I see as unjust is is enough for me. And so you know, so I tell my children. So for my oldest um, was really while she was in college was really active in the Free Burma movement mm. and 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 was doing work around. The release of Aung San Suu Kyi, and so you know, for her to then be able to say Aung San Suu Kyi has been released from house arrest, that I can see—I don't know what my my little protest did, what my little letter writing did, but I was part of that process. Yeah. So th that's what that's what I I hope to do mm -hmm. is for people to recognize that whatever you do is part of the process towards justice.
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like to end each of our podcasts by asking each interviewee kind of what's your personal definition of success? And you, you might have, you know, hinted at that in this last answer, but what's your personal definition of success and what advice would you give to college students like us or anybody out there and how to achieve that definition of success? So for me, success is living a life of, 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 of passion, living right. a life involved in, 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 in what gives you energy. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, what, what, what is the saying where where your great gift meets the world's greatest needs where mm-hmm. your greatest joy meets the world's greatest needs so for me being part of this uh, you know working for gender and racial justice is some that success is that I'm living I am doing in my life what I am passionate about mm-hmm. and that for me is success is living doing what you are passionate about and completely believe in what you are doing and and i would say to 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 anybody is truly listen to your heart to what is it that calls to you in our world what is it that 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 says to you we need you here Mm -hmm. and that your response to that is a resounding yes Mm -hmm. that there is no question in your mind that that's what you want to be involved in if you can answer yes to what calls you that to me is a successful life that's amazing thank you powerful thank you well sadly that's all the time we have but thank you so much again for joining us we really appreciated it and to all the listeners out there remember to stay hungry (laughs) 